Welcome back to Real Voice of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of the show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 268 on our network. And before we bring Bob in, just want to say a special thank you to our closing in on 50,000 subscribers right now. Uh, we were rewarded this past week. I'm sure you saw Bob, and congratulations to you as well, where we are now on iHeart Radio podcast stream. So, Originally, we're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher for our listeners, but uh, the newest coup to our efforts here on the podcast to wake up the baseball world has been a, a nice little tap on the shoulder by iHeart and said, join our group. So we're now, you can now stream us on iHeart uh, Radio Podcast Network. Um, in 74 countries, we're being listened to in the year of baseball, grassroots, the MLB front offices, and just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And Bob, I think you do that every week here. So welcome. Welcome back to your show. All right. Good to be back. Looking forward to another one. Yeah. Well, we're, we're weathering the storms today from, from uh, all the way up this southeast coast here. So we're, we're going to uh, kind of put our head down and get through, the, get through the podcast without any storms bothering us. Hurricanes and tornadoes hit us yesterday, so we kept our shows flowing. But uh, we're going to hit, hit heavy on fundamentals, some things that you, you saw this past week in baseball. And, and I think that's important to our kids and families out there. And then uh, heavy on infield play today. We're going to get to a little later on. So I'll let you start. To, I know you were chomping at the bit on that Joey Gallo incident. So I'm going to, let, I'm going to turn you loose on that. That's well, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch major league games to figure out how to play and watch them play and try to learn from them. And, you know, you still do. I mean, most of them play real well. And most of it's good. But fundamentally, it's really gone backwards, I think. Uh, <clears throat> when Joey Gallo tagged or didn't tag up on a foul ball, all I can think is he must have had a bad little league coach because you learn that in little league. On a foul ball, you have nothing to tag up. If he drops it or falls in, you can't go anywhere anyway. So just tag up. Maybe he might catch it and fall down or maybe, you know, make a sliding catch where he can't get up. So if you tagged up, you got a chance to advance the base. But when I saw that, I couldn't believe what I saw. And then I had to see it twice to make sure I saw what I did see, where he got double off second base on a foul ball right near the dugout. I mean, that's like unbelievable. But yeah. I guess they all say you watch a game long enough, you see something you've never seen before. Well, Gallo's got the history where I think he grew up in Las Vegas with Bryce Harper. There's pictures of those two playing on the same storied little leagues and, and amateur teams climbing through. So just for our for our audience here, you and I know the answer, but, you know, fly ball, hit and foul territory, there, there's only one way to go. And that's, I mean, that's back, correct? Yeah, just back, just tag up. You got nowhere to go for falls, so just tag up and see what happens. Like you said, in case the fielder who catches the ball, you know, trips or dives for the ball and, you know, can't get up in time, you can still tag up and advance the base if possible. Yeah. I heard one announcer saying, I won't name names on, on from TV, but they were almost defending him, saying that he was, he was, he was probably trying to entice a throw over there so it would get by, you know, the fielder and, and he would be able to score after the overthrow. And that sounds almost like we're talking about little league kids watching these guys to pay attention. That almost sounds like something foolish you you would see a 10 year old do. Yeah. Well, you can, they defend them a lot, but uh, you know, they just don't want to say anything bad about anybody. Some of these announcers and, uh, but you know, you can't defend that. I mean, that's just idiotic uh, trying to draw a bad throw. I mean, you know, it's an excuse and all that is, but anyway, another thing that bothers me a little bit watching games, you know, catchers with a runner on first and third, they very seldom throw through to second base. They're all afraid they're going to throw bad. 
And a lot of it has to do with it. You know, it's easier to steal a base now, not only because they can't throw the first base more than twice, because uh, the pitchers, I don't think the pitchers pay attention to the runners like they used to. A lot of them are real slow to the plate. And some of the catchers, being down on one knee, they're very inaccurate to second base. So stealing the base is easier. But, you know, I was always taught if you get the tying run up first, or even the go-ahead run earlier in the game, you got to throw it through. You can't give them second base automatically because now you put them in scoring position. I saw a team last night, I think it was uh, Tampa Bay, as a matter of fact. They actually did throw through, and they didn't get the guy, but the runner on third didn't score either. So I, I just, I've just i seen probably uh, the last 10 situations, probably eight of them, there was no throw at all, no attempted throw. So I don't know why they want to give that extra 90 feet away, put another guy in scoring position, but it has something to do with analytics, I guess. But uh, you got to trust the catcher to be able to throw somebody out or at least make it a throw so he doesn't attempt to steal next time. You know, again, we, we, we talked about the Joey Gallo thing resembling Little League or, you know, <clears throat> youth, youth baseball. That's a page right out of youth baseball right now where you see first and third situations, catchers won't throw because, you know, there's – Again, pitchers not great at holding runners on. Catchers are still learning their craft back there, but never in Major League Baseball. That's the unfortunate part. The game at the Major League level is resembling more of what we see at the 13 to 14 year old level than vice versa. Well, again, you know that pitch framing stat is one that I, I really don't believe in that. But that's more important than throwing runners out as far as a grade in catchers. So I mean, they're down to one knee. More balls get by catchers now than ever. It's just tough to move down there. I'm sure you can maybe catch a low pitch better and maybe so-called frame it. I don't know how many umpires you're going you're gonna to trick with that, but uh, it is easier to catch on one knee. But when runners on base or two strikes on a hitter, to me, you should get in a position where you can have a little mobility back there and keep a ball in front of you. Oh, I agree. It's, 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 everything <clears throat> seems to be backwards right now. It's like upside-down world in baseball. What, what are some other options other than throwing through? I mean, are there other – halfway points besides just not throwing at all that that, that a well team. yeah we used to have like you call a chin play where the shortstop comes right at the catcher that's usually in the ninth inning where you throw right to the catcher hoping that the guy in third would take off i mean most of the time with two outs especially the guy will steal second base hoping to draw a throw so the runner on third would try to score but if they pitch if the catcher peaks quick at the guy in third and the third baseman if the runner on third looks like he's going to try to go home on a throw to second, the third baseman should throw his glove out to the left, to the left, so the catcher can see his glove. So you should see his glove and actually see where the runner is. But, you know, it's, usually it's a two-out, two-strike play where you steal second to steal the run home. But, uh, I, you know, I just think that you got to throw through if it's a winning runner first or a tying runner first and, uh, and then take your chances. But evidently they don't have enough confidence in the catcher's arms to maybe throw somebody out or just keep him from doing next time. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I see that a lot as well. And I, I agree with you. I think the, the pitch framing has taken over the catching position to the point where almost nothing else matters. And these guys are going to do what they're graded on and they're going to do what's tolerated and they're going to do what they're paid for. And if they're not paid for blocking balls and throwing runners out and they're only paid for, taking that glove from the ground up and snatching strikes out and pulling, pulling strikes into the strike zone. then I guess that's what we're going to see, but it's, it's a shame. It's, it's such a storied position and the heart of baseball that, that is being just trashed like this. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it just goes along with all the other, you know, launch angles and exit velocities and spin rates and stuff like that. They're graded on rather than hitting the ball hard or getting the base hit, whatever, or whatever. But yeah. another thing that bothers me 
And I know some of the best base runners never peeked in, but I think the runner, when he steals second base, or tries to steal second base, he all should peek in and find the ball. I saw a couple instances recently where he didn't peek. The ball was a pop-up. He slid into second base. He got deep by the infielder. He popped it up, and he, he couldn't get back to first, so he's double off. A lot of times when you don't peek, you, you know, the ball's hit to the outfield and you can't get to third because you're sliding into second base. So I just think that if you practice when you steal, just look in, find the ball. I mean, to me, it's a safety factor, if nothing else, but you should know where the ball is all the time. And a lot of, a lot of runners do peak, but there's enough runners that don't peak that make a difference sometimes in a game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's safety, it's common sense, and it's strategic. I mean, it's, you, you would think you would, you'd want to know where the ball is for all those reasons. And uh, even even before that, the, the importance of uh, understanding the depth of your outfield, right? Not just peeking in, but but peeking out before the pitch is even taken, right? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. When you're on first base, know what you're going to do before you steal. Know, know where the outfielders are. Know where the infielders are. You know, are they are they shaded to one side or the other? Are they deep? Are they shallow? <clears throat> so you know if you're going to you know probably take a base. But uh, I don't know. Just little fundamentals like that. It's just preparation and anticipation. And uh, I don't know how much of that is done with some people. Another one is uh, all these runners that dive into bases. <clears throat> they use that swim. They call it the swim move where they tack it with one hand and pull the hand back and try to tag, uh, tag the base with the other hand when they're out, you know, basically going to be out. Well, the swim move doesn't work too often from what I've seen. Last games I've seen, they'll go in there and <clears throat> they'll, they'll reach one hand and pull it back. In the meantime, they're getting tagged out <clears throat> because no hands on the base or they, uh, they slide back past the base. They can't, hold on to the base so they're out automatically because you know you got no contact with the base at all so i just think more more players should slide feet first straight in bent leg you get there i think just as fast maybe diving is a little bit faster but the problem with diving is you can't hold the base a lot of times a lot of guys who dive they go flying over the base or like i said with a swim move they do that when they're you know when they're going to be out they try to tag the left side of the base and then when a uh, tag man tries to tag them, they go to the other hand and so forth. But it's effective at times, but overall, I think it's dangerous, number one. And number two, games I've seen, it doesn't work that well. It's, it's, it's gimmicky, correct? That's uh, And, and when, they, when they're trying to slide, too, I notice all these apparatuses they have on their hands now. They've got these big oven mitts yeah. going on. Which um, should be illegal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it goes along with the rest of the body armor that yeah. these guys are wearing now. As far as sliding goes, you, you, uh, you're a proponent of feet first? Yeah. I mean, you know, Ricky Henderson dove, you know, head first. But, you know, the other good base dealers, Murray Wills and uh, Lou Brock, <clears throat> they went feet first. I mean, to me, it's safer for one thing. Plus, when you hit the base with your foot, you know, your top heel, you, one leg's bent, the other heel, leg's up, you hit it with your top heel, you can't go over the base. You just, you know, stop with your with your leg, like a, your knees, like a – Shock comes over, and you just stop stop right there. But to me, it's the quickest way to get to the base. Now, if you got to avoid a tag, you might hook slide, or you might slide past and hit it with your hand. But uh, diving head first and then doing that tricky swim move, I don't know. I like to have a – there's no – I don't know any stats about that, but I think it's – number one, it's dangerous, and number two, it's uh, not that effective overall. It, it looks good when it works, but a lot of times it doesn't work. Yeah. And a lot of guys will, will go back to like what you said, Ricky Henderson does it, but just like when people talk about how Ken Griffey Jr. swings the bat or, or somebody else like Ozzie Smith feels the ball 
those are the exceptions to the rule. Those are the guys that, that can, can do that on a regular basis. Everybody else, you're the rule and uh, do things fundamentally without a doubt. Learn, listen, and try that stuff. But gosh, I agree with you. I think it's dangerous. Um, you got knees that are dropping. You've got, um, you know, head, you're leading with your head. I think anytime that's, that's dangerous. And, uh, you know, I always think it's, it's much from a visual standpoint, if you're going to take that extra base, it's much easier when you're going feet first, uh, you know, seeing what's around, you can look in, look out that throws past, um, as opposed to head first, where you're kind of got that head down in the dirt for the most part. Well, you know, a lot of it is for show, I think. I mean, it looks good when you dive and you're all dirty and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's well, he dove. I mean, it looks good, but yeah. I don't know. It's, more injuries happen diving. They do slide and feet first. That's all I'm saying. And the big thing in the game is avoid injuries. The only way you're going to get better is play a lot. The only way you're going to play a lot is not be injured. So I think it's it's a bad lesson for kids to do. You know, one of the best base drillers on our team, he dives all the time. And every time he dives, I'm afraid he's going to break his finger or his wrist or shoulder or something. But uh he does it all the time. I just wish he learned how to, you know, slide feet first. But another another base runner mistake, uh, one of the best players in baseball, got thrown out of third base for third out twice in one game. And that's, you know, there's no excuse for that. But, you know, that's, you know, you can't get thrown out of third base for the third out. you got to stay at second base because you're still in scoring position and, and the hitter's still up and the inning still goes. So, to me, you got to stay on second and they can't get thrown out of third unless you know you're going to make it easily. And explain that too, because it has to do with obviously with you know if, the, if there's two outs and you're on third base as opposed to second base, there, there's only a finite number of ways you can advance, and the only I, I would say the only additional way you can advance from third from uh, as opposed to second is the pass ball, which is more prevalent now than ever. But fly balls, you're not going anywhere. If base hits, you're going to score either way, um, right? So that's is that that's the rationale, the strategy behind that. Well, you know, rule, the basic rule is don't get thrown out of third base for the first out. Because if you stay in second base with nobody out, you can score in two outs. You can score, get to third on a ground ball or a long fly ball. You get to third, it's one out. You get to third with one out. You can score in a fly ball or maybe a ground ball you know, on a contact play. But if you get thrown out for nobody out, of course, you know, you're out. And it, But with two outs, same thing. You get to, you get thrown out second base or third base. You're on first base, and there's you know, two outs. You try to go to third on a base hit. Get thrown out of third. You're better off staying at second. If it's going to possibly get thrown out of third, stay at second base, and now base hit, you can score. Now, of course, if you get to third with two outs, that's good, but the risk of getting to third is not worth getting thrown out if it's not a, you know, to me, it's going to be 100% chance you're going to make third base to try to get to third with two outs. Yeah. What but, were the circumstances that he got thrown out, the two the two different ones? Well, was, he was on first, and, uh, you know, actually, in all fairness to him, the second time he went to third, there was a guy in second also, and a guy in second was, you know, going to score. And I think uh, he might have thought that he was going to get in a rundown between second and third, so the guy would score if it was a good throw home. But the throw went to third, and fortunately, he, he didn't use slide. He actually slowed down, almost gave up, but it actually was good because it gave the guy in second a chance to cross home plate before he was tagged out for the third out. So a lot of times, too, it happened where you get tagged out for third out, the runner on second doesn't run hard all the way home, and now he's out. He doesn't score because the third out was made before he touched home plate. So I think maybe this player, you know, saw that situation going to happen. And that's why I think we maybe went, try to go to third in all fairness to him just to help the guy score. And a lot of times, like with two outs, man, at second base, a guy, a runner, a hitter will get a base hit to the outfield. And if it's going to be a close play at home, he'll just keep running. Hopefully it'll cut the ball off and play on him and let the run score. And I think that might've been a situation. He thought that if he had to run that, 
you know, infielders play on him to get run over to score. But the, the throw went right to third base and didn't go home at all. So I don't know. It's just it looked bad. Uh, he's probably the best player in baseball, but uh, it just <clears throat> didn't look good for me. <clears throat> what was the other situation that he got thrown out? Do you remember? I think it was the same thing, man. He was on first, and uh, I didn't see that one in person. But when it happened, they said the second time he got thrown out with two outs. Oh. So I don't know. But it just, you know, just get back to, you know, the players. Just you got to realize you got to anticipate. You got to, uh, you know, know what you're going to do before the ball's hit and then react after it's hit. But if you just don't anticipate and you don't look at what the situation in the game is, you're going to stuff like that's going to happen to you because you're not, you know, anticipating and not ready for what's going to happen. And just for our young audience out there, as as Bob's explaining, there's not much more you can do at third base as opposed to second base with two outs other than that that pass ball. You're not tagging up on a fly ball. So from a baseball standpoint, you're better off there. Unless, as you were saying, the potential exception to the rule is if you're advancing and and there's that rundown possibility because the cutoff gets distracted and, and you're able to allow another run to score. Uh, because they they do that, but that's a heck of a read to do that. That takes a high level pro <laughs> to read that to say, okay, that throw through is going to nail him. I got to distract him a little bit, um, and make make him cut it off. Yeah, otherwise you're better off letting the throw go through and have the guy hustle there and and beat it out. So, no, great point. What what else did you see? Any other? No, that's know? about all. I mean, uh, you know, some teams are playing good, some teams are playing bad, and it's like uh, is that time of the season where uh, the teams that aren't have a chance for the playoffs. I mean, really good players still play hard. They still dive for balls. They still run everything out. And some other guys going through the motions now because it doesn't mean anything, so to speak. Yeah, but in, in our in our minds, it all means something, right? Well, to me, you got to play the game right. You play hard all the time. I mean, you can't hope to avoid an injury by not playing hard. And, uh, you know, real professionals, they play hard. And 99% of players are like that. But there's just a few here and there that just uh, don't respect the game. <clears throat> yeah. We we had uh, Mike Port on earlier in the week with Kevin Kernan and I. And we were talking about, he, he said, he goes, I get tired of hearing about the five tools. There's there's eight tools in my mind. And one of them was respect the game, respect your country. That was uh, that was the, the, the first extra one he had. And um I thought that was an important thing. It's kind of what you're touching on. Yeah. Well, Mike Port's a great baseball guy. He played. He was an administrator. And I know him from the Red Sox. And uh, he, he was just a great guy. And he ran a fall instructional league. And uh, when yep. he ran it, he had a rule you couldn't step out of the box unless you followed the ball off. And the games were every bit as quick as they are now just by making that one rule. And the pitch was ready to pitch all the time. And, you know, there was no pitch clock in those days. But the fall instructional league uh, – not instructionally, but you know, fall league. Yeah, was just a you know, it was it was fun to watch it because the games moved along. And Mike Port's the one who was behind that. And then all of a sudden, they relaxed the rule when he left, and it just became another three and a half hour game. Yeah, well, and so that, <clears throat> that that respect the rule, the respect the game thing. I, I love respect the game, respect the country. You also <laughs> talked about what you're you're bringing up here is baseball awareness that know what to do and when to do it. Um, right, kind of what you're touching on with the fundamentals. You know, it's a tough game to play, no doubt about it. But, you know, for guys who have baseball smarts, that makes it a lot easier. It's a lot more fun to play it that way and, you know, anticipate and take advantage of other teams' mistakes or, you know, downfalls. But that's the fun part of the game. It's a game within a game. So I just think that, uh, you know, the smarter guys 
and I'm not talking about book smart necessarily. I'm talking about baseball smart. Those are the ones who help win te- uh, help uh, yeah help teams win games. And, and, and how important? And these are questions that got asked after the show, and I thought you'd be a great person to answer it. So you know, respect the game, respect your country. Uh, baseball awareness, know what to do and when to do it. And then the third one was heart. How important is heart? How do how do you measure that? How do you how do you tell that? And what are some things you look at from guys when you're you're uh, when you're watching these games and you know examining the fundamentals? How do you pinpoint heart? Well, the one thing you can't measure heart with analytics, that's for sure. But if you watch a game and I watch a guy like when he makes an out or another guy gets a home run, you know, how does he react? Is he a team player? Does he, uh, you know, overcome it if he makes an out or does he like soak and mope, uh, you know, mope and stuff like that? But, you know, heart, I don't know what the definition would be, but it's being a good teammate, basically. And you have a bunch of good teammates, you got a chance to win. Right now, I think the Phillies have a good thing going. They have, you know, they, they really gel real well. They lost stuff on yesterday, but they gel. They're all somebody else always, you know, Harper gets all the uh, credit a lot of times, but he's a, he's a superstar. But other guys contribute. It's not just a one-man show. And they all take turns being part of a winning atmosphere. And it's just they're fun to watch now because they all play hard. And they got a couple of key guys hurt, but they got guys to fill in. And uh, that, that's what it's all about. I mean, you pick each other up. Someday you're going to be terrible. But hopefully you can give it your best effort, even though you don't feel right. Or maybe your wife's mad at you. You get some problems off the field. But you got to play hard just for your teammates. So that's basically what, you know, having some heart, I think. And I, they, the, the way the Phillies are going about their business, they even turn that, that uh, fanatic Philly crowd around where Trey Turner's been struggling. And usually they would shoot, they booed Santa Claus at one point in time, the Phillies fans. <laughs> they, uh, he came up, they gave him a standing ovation. He'd been hit, struggling. And since they did that, he's been hitting 350. So, yeah, I thought that was awesome. I mean, you know, it just shows you again how mental the game is. I mean, Trey was struggling. To me, Trey is one of the best players in the game, no doubt about it. But he was struggling. But it was a mental thing. He just started getting tension and everything else. And all of a sudden, he goes out there and gets a standing ovation. Makes it feel like he's hitting 350. And since then, I think he has hit 350. I know he's hit nine home runs. Yeah. But uh, it just gave him a boost, a big-time boost. And that that's a hell of a thing that the fans did to rejuvenate a guy who was a great player. Yeah. I, I loved when I saw that. I was surprised because, yeah. again, Philly yeah. fans have a – a, a reputation for being brutal, but uh, they 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 could see as these things we're talking about these guys that are playing hard for them every night. They've got good chemistry, you know. They 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 play the game the right way, and and they're uh, you know they they just baseball aware, and I think Philly appreciates that. So I'm glad they did that. Trey Turner is one of my favorite to watch. Well, he's a great kid. You know, he was with us, of course. And when he first signed, they, when they sent him to AAA, I'd never really seen him play before, and I used to watch all the minor league teams and our in our organization. So I went to AAA and watched, you know, his first two games, he's like 0 for 8. I'm saying, what the hell's going on with this guy? So I said to the manager, can I talk to Tracy? Yes. I went to the office. Trey came in. I said, Trey, I'm Bob Schaefer. I'm a scout. Are you going to get a hit before I leave here or what? <laughs> he looked at me like, who the hell is this guy? But he said, well, I think so. And I said, no, you probably will. So sure enough, he got three hits that night. But yeah, I just kind of tried to loosen him up a little bit because, you know, he was pressing. It just showed you, like I said, the mental part of the game. But, you know, he just, from there on, he took off, and he was a tremendous player for us. And uh, like I said, I still feel he's one of the best players in the game. He can do a lot of things a lot of people can't do. You know, he can run. He can hit home runs. He can hit for high average. And he's a good defensive player. So, but just get over that little hump, which that the crowd did that for him, to me, was a tremendous thing. Yeah, I agree. And, 
How, how much, you know, he's really settled in in Philly. He had, he had good, good times in, in Washington as well. In the beginning of his career, it was looking like they were trying to make him that super utility. They played him at second center, um, third a little bit short. How important is it for a guy, and maybe it's not, I don't know, to settle into that one spot? And, and does that translate to production um, at the plate as well, if a guy's settling in the one spot as opposed to moving around? I think if a guy is comfortable where he's playing, and that's a, the you know, biggest skill position in the game is shortstop. Now, we had somebody else playing short at the time, I think. So they want to give him the lineup. I remember they had him playing center field, which he could play center very well because he got the speed. Uh, I don't know about second base because I need to get a quicker release. But in those days, I think they, they had the overshift going, so it didn't really matter. But, you know, they put him back in short. And I know when we first got him, and I think when we got him from San Diego, you know, Rizzo robbed the bank when he got him. It was a hell of a trade for us. But I think somebody in San Diego said he couldn't play shortstop. Well, he athletes can play shortstop if they really want to play shortstop, and he really wanted to play short. I mean, he has great range. He might have little deficiencies here and there, but all in all, he's a great shortstop for me. I mean, he's got the range, like I said. He he comes in on balls. He, you know, he does these things well. <clears throat> but to put him at shortstop every day gives him a little more security. Don't have to worry about this, worry about that. And I think there's a problem in the game now that, the guy's in A ball. They're moving around. One day he plays second, then he plays short, then he plays left field, then he plays right field. I mean, to me, you start him at the toughest position, and we proves he can't do that. Go to the next position. But you got to have some continuity in order to get better. Now, as you become a veteran player, and you know you kind of a little bit older, you can be a utility guy. And the best utility guys are guys who are starters at one time. Then they become utility guys because they can handle playing part time. They can handle a little adversity if they get 0 for 4 one day and they're not going to play for a couple of days. They can handle it. But to have a younger guy become a part-time player, it's tough. But if he's not that skilled, then that's where you got to put him. Yeah, it takes a certain level of maturity to do it. And I understand what, what you're saying with <clears throat> trying to find a spot for him in the lineup and guys have got to be willing to do that. But, you know, you see a guy like Labor Torres with the Yankees now. He's came up as a shortstop, you know, was hit and miss there, and now he's kind of settled into second base. I always thought – and, and you were you were middle infielder too, like myself. I was more of a second baseman. Um, I thought it was harder to transfer from shortstop to second as opposed to second to short, just because everything's backwards at second base. I agree. I mean, second base to me was tougher than playing in shortstop. I mean, when I signed with the Cardinals, they said we're signing just shortstop, but you're probably going to be a second baseman. Well, every year I played, I guess I was the best shortstop, so I played short. Now and then I played second. Actually, I played in Modesto, and the wind was blowing from first base to third base. I didn't have a great arm, but I had a quick release. So shortstop's a little tough for me there because, you know, I couldn't go throw through that wind sometime. But that's when I played a little second base. But, you know, second base, you got to go both ways. I mean, you know, you got a guy in first, a guy bunts, you got to go to first. Uh, you know, ball's hit left side, you got to cover second, make a double play. Where shortstop, basically everything goes, you know, it flows the same way. And, uh I never worried about a runner hurting me, hitting me at second base because I could get rid of the ball quick and get out of there quick. But uh, just just the fact that I got to cover first few bunts, I got to go to second if he hits the ball, and then turn the double play. It's a tougher play for the short for the second baseman to uh, initiate the double play, and it is for the shortstop. So to me, second base is a lot tougher. And I'm going to tell you what happens a lot of times: the guys play short and they go to second base. And I always tell the guy if that happens, you got to just still charge the ball like you do at shortstop. A lot of guys who go, you know, shortstops figure, well, I got a lot of time now I'm playing second. Well, you know, that can get you screwed up. You got to still charge the ball and take charge. Don't overcharge it, but 
still charge it like you would a shortstop and make the play. Yeah, and those are great points to do. And I always took it again. I, I backwards baseball. I, I almost was mad when they took out the hard slide at second base because I thought that was another differentiator between the really good second baseman. It's it's almost like a running back. Running backs who never really get hit square because they know how to spin, they know how to elude, they know how to move laterally and and, uh, and vertically. I always took that as a second baseman where. You know, I wasn't going to get hit because I knew how to clear a quick transfer. I could get up if I had to. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sad they took that hard slide out, even though you could get dinged up a little bit. Well, again, they took a lot of skill away from playing second base by eliminating the break up the double play. And, you know, breaking up the double play, if you do it the right way, the second baseman is going to know how to defend himself. And that's to get up in the air, get rid of the ball quick and get up in the air. Because if you get hit when you're up in the air, you're not going to get hurt. But if your legs are on the ground and your back foot, especially when you throw off of, is planted, you get hit, or you're probably going to get hurt. But uh, the secret to being a good second baseman is get to the ball. I mean, get the ball quick, be moving before you catch the ball, and get rid of it as quick as you can and jump. And then, like I said, if you get hit when you're in the air, you're going to go down, but you're not going to get hurt. Yeah. No, I agree. And then that kind of leads us into we were going to get, get talk a little bit about infield play today, which uh, – which direction did you want to go there? Where'd you want to start? Yeah, we'll start. I'll just go with the basic stuff. Uh, you know, first of all, positioning. You know, we talked before there's four depths when you're playing uh, the infield. And the depth that the, uh, the infield plays depends on the situation in the game, the score, the inning, where the runners are, you know, the speed of the runners, the condition of the field. You know, if it's wet and slower, if it's, you know, astral turf, it's faster, of course. Uh, your, your arm strength as an infielder. You can you get long, a stronger arm. You can play a little deeper. And then your quickness and range. So the four depths that we talk about is the number one depth is all the way back with nobody on or maybe two outs. Now, I can tell you this. My uh, time in baseball coaching, and I still see it now, a lot of infielders play too deep. They think they got to play deep so you get get to more balls. But it's not how much how many balls you get to; it's how many balls you can throw a guy out, throw a guy out once you get the ball. Now, again, with a man on second base, it's important to play a little deeper to keep the ball in the infield. But a lot of infielders play so deep that the ball they get to, they have to you know quicken up and they kind of panic sometimes. But <clears throat> we call it the pie principle. When a ball is hit, it comes out like a if you drew a line to your left to your right, it's like a pie. So if you're playing, say you're playing back near the grass you might have to go five steps to get that ball that hits to your left. If you're playing two steps closer, you only have to go four steps or three steps. So you get the ball out quicker, and you get a chance to throw and run out first. But if you play back, and by the time you get that ball, that's five five steps, six steps away. By the time you get it and pick it up and go hop and throw, it's too late. The runner beats it out. Okay, another thing is when you play that deep, even a medium-speed ground ball is a tough play because you got to charge like hell and maybe throw on a run. So it depends on your arm and again the field, but don't play too deep. I can tell you a story. I was coaching in Kansas City one of my first years coaching. We had a shortstop, Kurt Stillwell. And Kurt was, to me, a great talent. Probably the truest arm of anybody. Had good hands. He was a really good shortstop. But one day we're walking down the runway to start the game. I'm walking next to him. He taps his glove. He goes, Shafe. I said, what? And he says, my glove doesn't feel right. I don't know if I can catch the ball today. <laughs> I said, so I'm saying to myself, oh, that's nice. <laughs> like a big-time shortstop, can't catch the ball. I said, Kirk, just don't tell the pitcher. So he laughed. I said, let me tell you what, I played shortstop. You can get in the slumps feeling ground ball. They can get in the slumps hitting the ball. 
So when you go out there tonight, you play where you want to play and take two steps toward the hitter, two steps closer to the hitter. He said, really? I said, really? I used to do that because when you get in trouble, it makes the game easier. So he went out there. He took two steps closer. He's playing like, you know, shallower than normal. But he made some great plays. He's looked a lot more relaxed. And after the game, he says, you know what? That was fun. And so now now you feel more comfortable out there. You can back up a little bit if you want to. But make the game easier. And a lot of these kids, I see them like in watch these A-ball games down here in Fort Myers. And I'm looking at a shortstop being the third baseman. I said, this guy got no chance. He's playing too deep. So don't play too deep. You know, find a good spot where you're comfortable and go from there. All right, so that's the one depth. Number two depth is double play depth. And I was always taught, George Kissel, everybody, you got to give up something to get something. So you got to get the double, double plays in order, run on first base. You got to play double play depth is probably two, three steps closer than one depth. Maybe about maybe three steps behind the baseline, maybe four steps, depending on the hitter again, depending on the field. And you're, you're cheating a little bit toward the base. So anything you get, hopefully you can get a double play. Now, if it's not hit hard, you probably can't, but at least you got a chance to get a double play. All you got to do is give yourself a chance to turn two when it's important to get a double play. Now, again, late in the game, you're up by three or four runs. Just play back and get one out one out at a time because the double play is not important. The important thing is, you know, field as many balls as you can, get one out each time. If you get two, that's good, but you don't have to get two as depending on time of the game. All right, so like I said, two depth is, you know, probably – three or four steps behind the baseline, maybe four. And then the three depth is the one that's probably just behind the baseline. The three depth is used with a man at third base and nobody out. With a man at third base and nobody out, 99% of runners are not going on the ground ball unless the third base coach tells them, you know, make the ball go through. Ground ball, make it go through. So the runner will read the ball off the bat. If it goes through, he takes off. Is at the infielder. He'll stop, and the infielder throw the guy to first base. <clears throat> so three depths is used then. I've seen too many teams play uh, with a man on third and nobody out. They play the infield on the grass, which limits your range. And I don't know why they do that, because I've never seen a guy run off third with nobody out yet. Nobody will unless they're not real smart. So you got to play three depth. Now, I'm not talking about uh, runners on uh, bases loaded or anything like that. Bases loaded, you're going to play either double play depth or you're going to play four depth. And four depth is on the grass. That's in a one-out situation where there could be a contact play put on you got a good runner in third. And a lot of times, you know, even more so now than ever, teams are using a contact play. They're running on contact. It's a gamble. But once you see the ball on the ground, you take off. you got to get a good secondary lead, and, you know, walking lead, and just take off once the ball's on the ground. So for the infielder to make the play at home, it could be a tough play. If you got to go three, two or three steps to your left or right, that's a tough play. And a good good runner will, will, uh, will score on that. So – you get the one, the four depths like on the grass, and now say you're in a four depth, and you'll see the guy in third base not attempting to be in, to go on contact. Well, then you got to look over there, and somebody's been a bench, you got a signal, you know, get back to three depth. So the thing is, you know, keep keep in mind what you're trying to do. What's the situation? What's the score in the game? Now, of course, if it's you know four nothing game, either way, well, if they're ahead four nothing, probably can go in contact. But if they're behind, they're not going to go in contact. So you should play accordingly. Another thing is like uh, your stance. You know, to me, you know, you get comfortable with your hands on your knees and in, in, in anticipate what you can do with the ball if it's hit to you. Now, once the pitcher delivers the ball, you got to get, you know, drop your hands off your knees, get in a position where you can go either way, left or right, and, you know, drop onto the balls of your feet and you can move. I mean, 
Another thing is you can't be too wide because if you're too wide, you get a lot of, uh, to me, like mobility and uh, you get more, more, more mobility when your, your legs are probably shoulder width apart. Stability and mobility are the opposite. If you want a lot of stability, you go wide, but you don't need stability when you're playing the infield. You got to have mobility. So you don't want to get too wide. That's your no first step, you got to go forward, back, left to right, on the balls of your feet to start with and go from there. The best way to look at it when you watch a tennis match, watch the tennis players are receiving a serve and see what he does. He gets ready and all of a sudden he has a little, you know, little creep and move so he can go either way. And that's, you know, that's reaction. But like those it. are things you have to, you know, practice during batting practice, eating balls off the bat. Find what's best for you. I mean, Brooks Robinson was really close together. Both feet were real close together. And that's where he got his, he got his best jump on the ball. Everybody's a little different, but you got you have your own way of doing it. But just don't get too wide because too wide is not too good. I, I get uh, asked that question too. I think way too much in stance, and I finally found an answer that I think satisfies everybody. And uh, and I le- I got this from I used to go down and watch the Giants. They used to practice in Albany their preseason when Bill Parcells was there. They still do, but nobody wanted to watch the linemen. And I decided, like, well, I'm going to get a spot at the fence and pay attention. And I got the best advice from stance from there, and I've carried it on to baseball and basketball. And it's, they, they the guy asked, how, how wide do you want me? And he goes, I want you wide enough so that you're balanced, but not so wide that you lose your quickness. And I was like, that's the best because there's no possible way to misunderstand that. And then he kind of gives up the, the components that you mentioned. You want balance, you want quickness. Brooks Robinson's different, um, you know, than somebody else. So that was, that was the advice I got from an offensive line football coach. I loved it. That's good. I mean, that's really good advice. And uh, like I said, everybody's a little bit different, but I, I see too many players like too wide, just like when you're leading off first base or any base. If you get a lead and you're real wide, you can't get it. You know, you can't move quickly. You, you're, you don't gain any ground. Your left foot's got to overcome your right foot. But if you're real wide, your left foot's got to go that much farther to get past your right foot. If that makes sense. But, you know, you got to have probably shoulder width apart is pretty good standard, but that could vary either way. Yeah. Um, another thing, covering the base for a tag. Shortstop, second baseman, even a third baseman. You know, when the pitch is delivered, you got to peek at the runner. If he's crossing over, he's probably going to steal. So now you got when you cover the base, you have to go go toward the hitter, which close the gap to second base, and then slide over. But you can't if you cross over right away, you're not going to have any range to your left if you're second baseman to your right if you're shortstop. So you got to go toward the hitter. When the ball gets by the hitter, then you get dart to second base or third base. And when you get there, you want to try to straddle the base. If you straddle the base, make a tag. The quickest way to make a tag is you straddle the base, you catch the ball, you can bring it straight down onto the base or in front of the base with your glove and the ball in your glove. I see these infielders will be in front of the base. They'll catch the ball out front. By the time they bring it back to the base, the runner's safe. Or they try to tag the runner. But if you just tag the, the base, bring tell yourself you can tag the base in front of the base and let the runner tag himself out by sliding into your tag instead of searching for the runner. So another thing is you got to make the tag with the back of your glove so your elbow, you know, if you hit your glove, it's going to be like a little, uh, you know, it's going to not going to knock it out. But if you tag it with your, uh, you know, palm facing the runner, a lot of times it'll hit your uh, forearm maybe and knock the ball out of your glove. But it's important to get there and, you know, get – Straddle the base, catch the ball, bring it straight down to the base, and let the tr- runner tag himself out. Then searching for the runner. A lot of times you see the infielder searching for the runner, and that's where the swim swim move will work with some of these guys because 
he's looking for the wrong hand. Yeah, so you, you're, you're talking get it, catch it, get it down because the, the, the ball will travel faster than the glove instead of catching, reaching out and bringing it back. But I like the point of bringing the glove down really with the top of the glove, right? The palm facing up, not toward the runner because they will kick that ball out either through your forearm or kicking yeah. it straight into the glove. But, uh, you know, in the old days, you used to come down and just swipe the tag down there, and if you miss him, you just throw the ball around the infield. But nowadays, with all the replay, you can't do that anymore. But in those days, you know, the umpire, he you know, he looked at it quick. He didn't know. He just assumed you tagged him, and he'd throw it around the infield, and, you know, he calls him out. But that's when – that was before the replay, and to me, that was – you know, the ball beats the runner should be out, basically, unless it's really, you know, a bad throw or, or whatever. So now, one thing, if you're going to defend against a delayed steal and – the delay steal is where the runner does not cross over. He slides off. He gets a good, you know, secondary lead, exaggerated secondary lead. And then if you, as an infielder, drop your head, he's going to beat you to the base. So you should always be in the habit, if you're covering the base, after the ball is delivered and you look over there, he doesn't cross over. Always get in the habit of walking, taking a couple steps toward the base in case he does delay steal, you can get him out. Because a delayed steal is designed to steal on a shortstop or second baseman. The catcher will see you go. So, yeah, it's my favorite. I love the delayed steal. We use it. Um, we have <laughs> tournaments coming up this weekend. I'll use it more often than I use the regular steal because, um, you know, not, not that the the pitchers are great at keeping runners close, but they're they're more they're more concentrated on that as a unit as opposed to like you're saying, just that simple habit of I call it pinching. You know, where they I remind our second baseman shortstop always pinch. Um, after the pitch. So they, they have that habit of you get a good baseball guy out there and they recognize that. That's what I do. As soon as I see that second baseman after a pitch, put his head down and just kind of float his way back or a shortstop, we're, we're rolling. We're going on that. All right, that's good. Now, fielding your own ball, good infielders have good hands. But to have good hands, you have to have good feet. If you could field every ball on the inside of your foot that your gloves on, you're not going to miss too many balls. So if you're a right-handed thrower, your gloves on your left hand. You also should feel the ball just inside your left heel, your left foot. And you feel at the top of the triangle. Your two feet are part of the triangle. Your feet, your glove out front is, makes a triangle. You feel it out there. You bend your knees so you can see the ball into your glove. If you feel the ball under your butt, you're not going to see the ball all the way into your glove. You aren't, your, your eyes aren't that fast. But if you get out there where you can see the ball into your glove, you're going to catch the ball every time. But the reason you want to be on the left side just outside your left foot, is that now if the ball's to your right, takes a bad hop or something, or you just can't quite get there, your hands are hard when you go to the right. When your left hand goes to your right, your hands get hard. Then go to the left, and you're still pretty soft. So line it up so as you're charging the ball, then you come under control, you bend your knees, feel the top of the triangle, just inside center of, you know, to the left side of the center. And like I said, another thing that is a pet peeve is, you know, when Jimmy Williams and I were, you know, really close, we ran managed Red Sox. We were, we talked fundamentals all the time. One day he comes to me and says, Shafe, what's this? I said, well, he said, what's this? The infielders got the glove and it's the bare hand is on top like a claw and they, they trap it down to the glove. I said, what the hell is that? I said, you know, Jimmy, I think that started because I think it was a college guy that come up with this piece of plywood, use it for a glove and, and make him try to get the infielder to have soft hands. So you put the plywood on your hand, you had some straps behind it, and you fill the ball with your plywood. So in order to fill the ball, you had to have your top hand, your bare hand, above it to trap it onto the plywood. I said, but 
He said, no, but I, said, I, I don't teach that, Jimmy. I teach, you know, you go out there, your, your pair of hands should be, you know, just even with your glove hand, with your palm kind of facing toward it. And it's more of an athletic position. But if you get down in a position, you bend your knees, you get down, put your glove out front, you put your top hand on top, that's not really an athletic position. You're kind of locked up. So I say, you know, keep your other hand, your bare hand to the side of your glove. Then when you catch the ball, just, you know, grab the ball and go from there. But to put it over top, first of all, it's dangerous. You know, ball takes a hop on you. You don't have to break your finger. And uh, there are a lot of good infielders that feel the ball that way, but I would never teach somebody to do it that way. So I'm glad I don't know how you feel that. about that. Huh? I'm glad you said that because I, I hate that that as well. They, they call it that alligator. And if you walk around these youth fields and these rec fields and even some of these travel fields, they're teaching these kids to do that. Yeah. And I just think, as you said, it jams you up inside. It's very unathletic. And I like what you said, almost like my hands are, again, I, 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 was, I was never taught this. I was a basketball player. You're taught when you defend, you've got your hands out in front of you and, and they're, they're mirroring each other. They're moving together. So as a defensive second baseman, I did the same thing. I had the glove somewhere off the inside of that foot, but my right hand was kind of not quite as flat, but it was moving in the same rhythm as my glove hand so they could move together because I was taught field, field ball <clears throat> Um, where, where on the glove do you want to field the ball? Um, you know, one way you can tell how good an infielder is, is the infielder catch the ball in his pocket every time. If you feel the ball in your pocket every time, that's what you want to do. Now, a lot of times you'll have an infielder, a lot of times you'll hit the, you know, the fingers or whatever, and it'll bounce or rattle around. And that happens when you take your eye off the ball. The infielder should watch the ball right into his glove every time. You know, some take tri- tricky hops. You never know. But if you watch it into your glove every time, you're going to catch it in, in the palm of your glove in the pocket. And uh, I always tell guys that, you know, a lot of times they'll bobble the ball. And I said, well, you didn't watch all the way. Your, your head left. And it's natural reaction for your eyes to move before the action. In other words, you're going to look for where you're going to throw it before you actually catch it. <clears throat> but you have to catch it first. And you're only going to catch it first, catch it in the palm, is to watch it all the way into your glove. First base will always be in the same place. You don't have to look at first base before you throw it there, before you catch the ball. So catch the ball first, secure it with your, your throwing hand, and then you bring it to your chest. <clears throat> you take your crow hop and throw. Another pet peeve of mine is guys who catch the ball. They charge it. They read a hop. And when you read a hop, you got to get hopefully get the, high, uh, the top, the high hop or the trap hop. Trap hop, as soon as it hits the ground, it bounces right into your glove. And uh, But you don't want the half hop. You want to be in between because that's that's scary and that, that's tough. That's not good. It Sometimes it happens, but you want to get the, the top of the hop or the trap hop. <clears throat> but when you catch the ball, you bring it right to your, right to your body, right to your, your chest. Bring it into your chest. You crow hop and you throw. But the secret is be under control when you catch the ground ball. Some people are out of control. They're running. They're going forward and they're out of control. So they have to take two crow hops to get rid of the ball. One to stay under control. The next one to throw the ball. But you should like almost bounce in a position. Once you read a hop, pick the ball up, bring it to your chest, crow hop and throw. Your throwing motion starts from the middle of your body all the time. You don't want to bring it back over your right shoulder. Because if you bring it back over your right shoulder and you're crow hopping, you're out of control. You don't have body control. You try to do it. You just think about doing it. When the ball's in front of you, in the middle of your chest, you bring it to your chest, crow hop, you're under control, good body control, and then you start your throwing motion. Your throwing motion should always start from the middle of your body. In your throwing motion, you bring the ball down and make a circle and throw. You don't bring it back like a bow and arrow. Now, some guys had great arms, they can do that. But when you bring it back like a bow and arrow, your hand has to stop before it goes forward. Where if you bring it down and up and make it a little small circle, 
you get arm arm speed, arm momentum, and you get more in the throw. Now, another thing that really helped, you go to your right, you backhand it. Okay, I'm talking about a right-handed thrower now. You backhand the ball in a hole, you're a shortstop. You backhand the ball, you bring the ball right back to the middle of your body, crow hop and throw. Some guys will catch backhand it, leave their, you know, the glove there, put the glove in there, and they start their throwing motion from over the right shoulder. Well, when you do that, you have no arm speed. So now you end up pushing the ball, and the ball dies. And uh, it's just a little technique, but anytime you see a shortstop, even third baseman, if you see them, they don't come back to the middle of the body to throw the ball. The ball is going to have a little less velocity, and it's probably going to tail, and it's probably going to have to shorten, arm, shorten his arm up, and therefore you get underneath the ball, and it makes it tail even more. So always bring it to your middle of your body and throw from there. I like that. I think if, if people watch these errant throws right now in backhands, I think you'll see that 99 out of 100 times that they didn't recenter the ball. You mentioned bow and arrow. Don't do the bow and arrow. What do you mean by that? Well, bringing the ball straight back instead of making a circle. To me, to me, the throw motion starts, you bring the ball down and then back up and in a circle. You don't go straight back because you go straight back like when you're shooting a bow and arrow. You go straight back. Well, your hand stops before it goes forward. Where if you go down, you get moment, you build momentum with your arm, making a circle and go. Awesome, and, yeah. you know, the circle should be short, small, as small as you can, make it quicker to get rid of the ball. I but, you know, if you're playing the outfield, you're playing third base, you could probably have a little longer arm because, you know, now you can get a little more on the throat. But I had a quick release. I had, you know, short circle, so to speak. But uh, you just have to make, the, even making a double play. I mean, we'll talk about that probably next week. But, uh Making a double play. You know, I mean, a lot of times second baseman catch the ball and go straight back over his right shoulder. Now he pushes the ball at first. As again, make a little short circle and build up more uh, arm speed and momentum and throw the ball from there. But you watch infielders, next time you see a guy field a ground ball, you see what they do. If they bring it, you know, right to the middle of their body, they get, you know, they get good arm speed. Now, Nomar Garcia Parr, when he first signed with us, he had a, a different throwing motion. And I told the other guys working, look, we're not going to mess with his throwing motion. Because, you know, he threw like, I don't know, his sidearm or whatever, but it worked for him. But once in a while, he would not bring it to the middle of his body. When he started in the middle of his body, he had good arm speed and, you know, he was very strong. But that's the only thing I ever said to him. I said, no, but bring the ball back to the middle of your body. Start right there. Don't be so anxious to get rid of it. You go backhand. A lot of times you get rid of it real quick, but you got no arm speed. So, you know what I mean? Does that answer your question about yeah. you know, like a bow and arrow? Well, I see, you know, and the reason I ask is because I – I got, I've gotten into discussions before with just like with hitting and pitching, fielding is getting kind of cookie cutter as well out there. I got in a discussion with, it's considered a very prominent infield coach out there is on all over the internet too. He's got a good pedigree, but really promotes, does promote center of the body, but promotes leading back like almost with your elbow, just boom, quick elbow. And I told him for me, that felt unnatural. I, I couldn't do that. I felt like I was almost like that gator hand. I felt locked up athletically. And, uh, you know, he, he was very open-minded and said, yeah, I mean, I, I, he goes, I promote that because I'm dealing with the masses. But, yeah, I could see that because I was, I was always taught and felt, again, I liked, I liked to always be in motion. I was never big on abrupt movements like that, like gator. You know, that's why I call that one hand on top fielding and then center your body and boom, leading out with your elbows. I felt really locked up and I, I, did, I just did it now while we're talking. And I felt tense and I can't do anything athletic when I'm yeah. tense. But if I keep that little circular motions, my hands always moving slightly. When I feel that that little slight, well, as you said, that little slight circular motion when you throw, I felt like I got a little bit more on it. And I, you know, maybe again, that's me. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm hearing you saying it too. But if you see it out there now, you'll see a lot of these 
I see a lot of these infielders do it. Boom, they're leading out with their elbows. And maybe because they're big and strong enough, they can do it. But um, I see these young kids doing it. And I just see, there it goes. It becomes a start-stop motion instead of that old physics. An object in motion will stay in motion. But, yeah. Well, the elbow, wherever the elbow goes, the hand goes. So if you get your elbow up, it's just going to slow your hand down. But, you know, the guys with good arms have, you know, fast arms. Their arm is fast. That's why the ball comes out of the hand good because it's fast. But if you're pushing the ball by not having a good circle, a good um, momentum for your arm, it's going to tail. It's going to die. Another important thing is to stay closed. Keep your front shoulder closed. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys would pick it up and listen to fly the front shoulder open. So now in order to catch up, your arm has to drop. And again, that'll make the ball tail away. So what I used to tell the players is that when you take, you bring the ball to your chest, bring it up, raise your left elbow, which slows your front side down. So now you can throw, I say you got to throw your front side, let your front side go toward where you're, you're going to throw the ball. And then as you open up, your hand will come through. But if you open the front side up too soon, as your hand's going back, you're not going to get the same arm speed because you're already gone. Your front side gone. But the winner, secret to that is raise your left elbow. That slows your front side down a little bit, and you can stay closed longer. And that's how you throw. I've seen some of these videos where the guy throws the left arm out straight, and you, you know, the right arm is still not even throwing the ball yet. And you, know, you throw it on one side. you got to throw it both sides. Your front side, just like hitting, you got to stay closed and you hit. You can't fly open and then drag the bat. But hitting and throwing is basically the same fundamental. I was just going to bring up that same point. It's, it's stuff that you pointed out with hitting, pitching, and then throwing from the field. That that front shoulder and that hip, that front hip, that's your directional. That's uh, right. that's where you're going. Those are great points. Well, what else? You, I mean, we've, I've kept you almost an hour today. I know you got a tea time coming up here, so I don't want to make you late for that. You'll get fined by your your, uh, your foursome. I'm but, hoping uh, it rains. <laughs> with, but, um, what, what other things you got to cover with the infield? Talk about double turn a double play next week. Yeah, that would be great. There's a few things here. And one good thing about that is that I can see you see double plays now because they limited that overshift. So now there's double plays. I've seen more ground ball double plays this year, and it didn't last five years put together, I think. But it, it's more fun to play the infield now when you know, you're you not allowed to overshift because before every infield is almost the same. You know, they play here now, play there, and now you're on short right field and all that kind of stuff. But now you have a true shortstop, true second baseman, and it makes the game a whole lot more interesting and rewarding to the pitchers. You know, double play is a pitcher's best friend. It's a scout's best friend, too. It makes the game go by quicker. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but you know, we're talking about making a double play. I mean, you're, you're probably an expert on that also, so we can c- compare notes. But uh, I have a certain way that I teach it. And, uh, you know, it's not like everybody teaches it probably, but we can talk about that next week. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I, I'd love that. I think um, to me that was, the, that was the fun of playing middle infield, specifically second base, because – as you said, you become the best friend of the pitcher. One pitch, two outs is, is phenomenal for everybody. And then it truly is an art where, you know, if you've got good feet and hands and you're a little fearless and, and I, and we, I like to talk about that unspoken communication based on where the ball is next week too, with the body position in the second baseman. So the shortstop knows the feeds. I, I think that'd be great tutelage yeah. for our, our young kids out there and from probably some of our college and pro guys too. So. Yeah, well, you know, I don't care what level you're playing at. You're always learning. I mean, I'm still learning. I don't do it anymore because I can't. But you're always learning different techniques. And the game hasn't changed, but the teaching methods have changed, I think. And I think it's, you know, I try to make it as simple as possible. Some guys get too technical and you lose me. But, you know, it's it's a tough game, but it's an easy game if you don't make it too too tough, too complicated. So try to do the stuff as simple as you can. And, like, just feeling a ground ball. I mean, you line it up as you're going after it. Line up on your left side, 
your left inside your left side. So now as you're feeling the ball, you're kind of moving toward where you're going to throw it. You just pick it up. You're under control. Pick it up. Bring it to your chest. Crow hop and throw. But we have to make two crow hops is because you're not under control when you catch the ball. So once you get you under control, the other one's to throw. Now, there's certain balls you kind of get hand, you know, handcuffed, so you have to just defend yourself, catch it, and then crow hop, then throw another crow hop. But, you know, reading the, net, reading the, the, hop, the hop and reading where the ball is going to go and trying to get the top, top of the hop or the trap hop is what you got to do. And that's all you can happen during batting practice, live off the bat. I mean, take fungals. The fungals are good, too. But live off the bat is even better because you get the jump on where it's going. The fungal, you know, is going to come basically at you to your left or to your right. But when you're hitting fungals, you just hit some like now you said three to your left, three at you, three to your right. And it just keep rotating around. Just don't hit a ball right at him. You know, make him go to his right, make him backhand, make him go to his left, make him, you know, shuffle his feet. And I will say, you know, you shuffle your feet like, you know, you're a basketball guy too. When you guard somebody basketball, you shuffle your feet. You don't go, your right foot doesn't replace your left foot. You shuffle them so your feet are basically all the same distance apart. Isn't that right? Is that yeah, you- little half steps. If your right foot ever replaces your left or vice versa, that makes you stand up. Your body can't stay down. Right. And it's slower. So, yep. I mean, that's the same way when it, the ball said, you know, a little bit, not too far away from you. You got to shuffle your feet, but it's all about body control and good feet is one big body control. Let's get back to a drill that, you know, I see people uh, feeling balls on their knees. I don't like that because you feel the ball with your feet and you feel it with your knees. I mean, okay, it helps your hands, but you can still work on your hands, but moving your feet to work on your hands. I agree. I agree. I, uh, I, I cringe when I see that. Not that the guys that are doing it at the, at the very highest levels, we, we can't emulate them at the lower levels. The, the, the young kids, they've got no. to learn how to use their feet. And um, I'm glad you said that because I, I can't stand Every time I see it, I cringe when I see on their knees because every practice I go by now, yeah. all these YouTube coaches are doing that stuff and they don't know what they're teaching. Yeah. Well, there were some videos out a while ago and I don't mention the guy's name, but I look at it and I said, you got to be kidding me. But my granddaughter was playing softball one time. She said, I said, what, what are you doing? She said, well, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I said, no, that's not how you throw. You throw... You got to, you know, stay your front side closed. Keep your front side closed and then open up as you throw. But you can't open up first and then throw. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. But yeah. Well, we, um, so that for our audience, just a tease next week, we'll get on to the double play action. I love that. That's uh, my, one of my favorite topics. We can hit it from every angle, starting with the middle. But uh, Bob, great show uh, today again. And then uh, audience, please. Uh, let us know if there's other things you want to talk about next week with the double play questions that you may have on this show as well. We'll certainly double back if we have to. Um, but uh, Bob, great, great effort today. Again, hope you shoot well today and you get the weather to do so. No rain there, but we're episode 268 right now. Real voices of the game. Um, touch them all with Bob Schaefer. Bob, thanks so much. Great show today. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks for the contributions. No worries. I'm glad I can keep up. Well, I can understand. I mean, you know, you're, like I said before, you're a great baseball guy, so it makes my job a lot easier when I explain something because you can visualize what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, it's just tough to say it without demonstrating, but try to do the best I can that way. Oh, you're, 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 uh, you're, you're a pro's pro. The fact that you can do all this stuff with an audio only just tells you how good a coach you are. So our audience, very, we're very lucky to have Bob on this show doing this every week. So take advantage of it. Ask questions. Let's, let's pick his brain because um, he's got tons more to give us. Thanks again, Bob. All right, thank you.